0: Right on. Good to see you guys. Well, hey, Kenny open us up in prayer, so let's uh, just get it going. We are on chapter 2, page 25, for those of you hooked on page numbers, Tom. And the new topic that we are on, again, is the topic of, it rhymes with assurance. Assurance. You guys are paying attention. And uh, what we saw is that, uh, uh, obviously, God wants us, and the key word that we saw last time was, God wants us to seriously doubt all the wonderful, great things that He did for us. That Jesus went to the cross and... Hey, it's just willy-nilly, John. We don't know. Maybe, I don't know. You know, And that's the key word. He wants us to know that we have eternal life. Why? Because it's a gift. It's a wonderful gift. It's the greatest gift of all, right? It's the gospel. It means the good news. It's good news. He wants us to not just uh, know this. He wants us to know it for sure so we can get busy enjoying the gift. Okay. And yet, as we saw last time, some people would have the audacity to say that no, you can't know. It's just uh, maybe, maybe not. Whatever. As we saw, man, once you go down that route, which I we're going to see even again tonight, the Bible does not teach that. Hello, for various reasons, is man you lose out on your peace. Okay, that freaks you out. I mean, I mean, think about it. It's called the good news, right? I don't know about you, but if you can, uh, it wouldn't be called the good news. It'd be called the bad news, right? If if you start out say, hey, praise God, God loves me, He, he saved me, I'm going to heaven. No, I'm not. Now it's based on what I do from this point forward. And if we're honest with our own behavior, myself included, hey, none of us would get there, would we? That'd be horrible. It's like, why'd you even tell me that? I could have done what the rest of the world does, eat, meet, uh, drink, and be merry, right, and die, right? Why'd you have to mess it up? It would be the bad news, but it's the good news. And But if you doubt it, you lose your peace, and you certainly don't want to get out there and witness to other people, right? Because you're wondering yourself and all that stuff. It's all kinds of unfortunate things. But God wants us, that's the key word, he wants us to know, and hence that's the doctrine of, assurance. He wants us to be assured that when you're saved, praise God, you're saved forevermore. Now, where we left off there was in the middle of the page there, 25. As children of God, we can know that we have eternal life in three different ways, is what we saw. The first one was the Bible. The second one was the Holy Spirit. And the third one was the evidence of a transformed life. We're going to get the one on the Bible tonight. So let's pick up where we left off there. And then we'll start with that first topic there, the three different ways that we can know for sure is the witness of the Bible. Not the witness of your feelings, the witness of the Bible. Let's take a look there. Now, the phrase there at the top, it says there in the page, I am given eternal life. Okay? Now, what we're going to see throughout the studies, guys, is the Bible's explicit uh, period that once you're saved, you're saved forevermore. But the Bible on top of that, like icing on the cake, uses specific language to let us know that when you're talking about salvation, you're talking about something that is irreversible, uh, period. It cannot be undone. Okay. The Bible uses terms like "born again." Okay. Now, how can something that is born become unborn? It can't. You could die, but you don't unborn yourself. It's it's an irreversible procedure, right? You you can't, you know, and that was what with Nicodemus, John 3. He was thinking of physical birth when Jesus said you need to be born. He said, you can't go in your mom's womb again, can you? No, I'm talking spiritually. But you can't unborn something. And we're going to get into a bunch of other ones that the Bible tells you that it's irreversible. Once it happens, praise God, it's forevermore. And this is what's so ironic is why would we bucket this? Why would we bucket this great news that when you're saved, praise God, you're saved forevermore? It's crazy. What I've learned, I was talking to somebody, I don't know where they were, they called today, and uh, out of state, I think, and they, they had a question, and they were talking about some different issues, and, and to me, one of the reasons why, I, at least I've learned on this particular issue, those who say you can lose your salvation, hey, frankly, I don't know if you guys have run into this, but it seems to lead to another sin, and that sin is called pride, okay? And that you know, the haves and have-nots, and, they, and then as if they're the judge, so you can, oh, you're the Holy Spirit now? You're going to say that person is, that person isn't? And then name the sin. What's the sin? And everybody has their list. And we'll get to that hopefully in a second. But I have given eternal life. Now, the phrase that when it talks about eternal life, it is a gift. Right? Specific language. Not just born again. It can't be reversed. It's a gift. As we saw last week, if John actually were to give me a Corvette, okay, then... Do you have something? Really? Come on up, John. Give it up for John. John Gibson. Praise God by the Spirit of God, responded to last week's request of getting me a Corvette. No, I did. I got him a Corvette. And this yeah. was all, no, all paid for. All paid right. for. You know, it's a gift. You don't have to do it. Really? Put it together. Yeah. Okay? So, so that'll be Look something that. you and little Billy can do together. Man, what a guy. So that's your Corvette. Don't say I didn't give it to you. <laughs> give it up for John. Man, this is awesome. All right. Yeah, I'm sorry, John, that was a great thing, but this is what's called a works-based salvation. You have to do something with this, and that's not what we're talking about, okay? But I appreciate the offer. (laughs) If she'd asked for a million bucks, she would have maybe at least came in with 10 grand or something. Yeah, something, but that's right. That's cool. I like that. I like that. Okay, right on. That's exciting. Right on. That's pretty cool. Let's close in prayer. But uh, anyway, uh it's a gift. Praise God, it's a gift. Now, how many guys are glad that when you ask for the gift of salvation, uh, it's not a works-based do-it-yourself, paste it together, glue it together gift like John gives? With no, you know what I'm saying? It's the real deal, okay? Thanks, John, but we've got to run with this. Okay, no, it's a gift from God, right? And so if something's a gift, that means there's no strings attached. If there was, if there was stipulations, it's not a gift gift okay and again this is the language that the bible uses when it talks about salvation it cannot be reversed and once it's given it's truly a gift you got it what you choose now here's the here's the issue i think the moment we get saved the next thing we need to be working on is the quality of enjoying the gift okay that's a whole different issue but once you got it you got it Okay, now what you do with the gift afterwards that's a whole different sermon okay but once you got it you got it okay let's take a look i'm given eternal life one more thing that I'll say with there. Those who typically say that you can lose your salvation, uh, uh, on the one hand, they would say, oh, of course, it's not a works-based salvation, right? Typically, okay? Say, so oh, of course you can't earn it, okay? But then they say you could lose it. But if you stop and think about that logically, isn't that just the flip side of the same coin, okay? On the one hand, they say, on the one side, they say, oh, you can't work for it. But on the other side of the coin, they say, but you can work yourself out of it. Thank you very much. It's illogical. So how, on the one hand, you can't work for it, but then how can you say that I can somehow work my way out of it? Either way, you look at it, you can't. Okay, so it's completely bingo. It's completely illogical. Again, when we're going to see, not even I even quoted the text yet. Okay, we're going to see that once it happens, the Bible on top of the text, you, because why? God wants us to be assured. He wants us to know. He wants us to enjoy this gift, not doubt it. Enjoy it. Grow in that walk. Work on the quality before you get to heaven. Okay, and uh, it's born again. It's a gift. You cannot work for it. Let's continue on. It says there and the uh, witness of the Bible and the witness is this. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. Right? You got it. Ipso facto, as we saw last time, as R.C. Sproul challenged a young man who thought that he committed whatever sin, that, oh, no, he lost it. He, in love, very firmly, if you were here, we, I quoted him, and he said to the young man, would you stop calling God a liar? God right here says you have. If you got Jesus, and if you're trusting, not as we saw the phony ways last week with your head, okay, claiming, but there's no difference. We'll get to that, the witness of a transformed life, okay, if you're not getting there by your religious works, even Christian works, he says, you got it, okay? So enjoy it. Stop calling God a liar as if he can't deliver on his promise. And that's what he says. You have the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. These things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may absolutely freak out and doubt the rest of your days here on earth. Wrong. That you may know, is your next two blanks there, that you may know that you have eternal life. He wants us to know that you have it. It's awesome, okay? And get busy enjoying it. And that's what he says. The Bible is filled with verses attesting to the fact that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, I have eternal life. When I come to Christ, I need to realize that my salvation is not based on feeling. It's not based on emotion. Dare I say it's not based on performance, at least ours. It's based on the performance of Jesus Christ. Hello, and that's secure. Okay, but it's based on the fact that what God has done. Notice is what God has done. That makes it ultimately, truly his salvation, right? It's his salvation, not ours. It's his gift to give, not ours, to somehow uh, uh, take away from him, excuse me. In response, the next page there, the top of page 26, in response to my simple faith. Now, observe what the word of God says about you after your act of faith. Now, notice the words there in the verse we're about to uh, quote there. It says, truly, okay? Now, it doesn't say just truly, it says truly, truly, okay? So, was the Apostle John uh, stuttering when he was making this? No, Mary, I know that sounds tempting, but that's not what it is. Uh, Jenna, thanks for correcting her. That's not at all what it is, okay? Basically, it's a a biblical rule of interpretation. When you see something repeated, it's therefore emphasis. And so, Jesus, of course, being the truth, okay, truly, truly, John's saying, listen, I'm not lying to you, double emphasis here. What I'm about to say, truly, truly, this is it, man. Okay, don't call me no liar. This is from the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is inspiring this. Truly, truly, listen up. Okay, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. Your next three blanks. You got it. Truly, truly, don't doubt it. Truly, truly, you got eternal life and does not come into judgment. It doesn't happen. It's not gonna happen, okay? But you passed out of death into life. So if you passed out of death into life, how do you go back into death? Hey, that's awesome. What a nice little nifty break there. We are back in action. That's right. Uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever has batteries is really blessed. But uh, I'm sorry, that's the wrong translation. Let's continue on. Does not come into judgment, but he's passed out of death into life. Okay. He who believes in the Son you have, he has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him okay now one more for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him is really hoping to really get there one day oh i'm sorry but no shall not perish but have eternal life now again here's another one of those verbiages we talked about it's the issue of eternal okay eternal life okay it didn't just say life but again the holy spirit uh, uh, the, the apostles' writing on the guidance of the Holy Spirit happened to choose eternal life, right? Now, how is that logically, which is eternal, ever going to ever become uneternal? It can. It's called an oxymoron, like icy hot or peaceful war or yummy chicken. It just, it doesn't work, okay? <laughs> it doesn't happen, okay? Uh, and so, again, what you see, we haven't even bust into the, to the text that's very clear about this is what we saw, the Bible uses eternal, born again, it's a gift, you can't work for it, truly, truly. Is anybody getting the indication that when God saves us, he wants us to know, for sure, assurance, and praise God, we're saved, we're getting to heaven, okay? And that should put a smile on your face, right? God wants us to enjoy the gift now, not just before, uh, when we get into heaven. Oh, by the way, give it up to Pastor Jim, anointed man of God, thanks for teamwork. Right All right, um, maybe Kenny will let you on his fishing show. But uh, first guess. But anyway, so let's continue on. Many wonderful things can happen and uh, happen when I put my faith in Jesus Christ that assures is your next blank there for those of you hooked on blanks that assures me of my salvation. We're going to discuss a few of them now. Others will be discussed in more depth later. Blah, 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 blah. OK, now at this point, here's what we are going to discuss is a couple things there. Uh, and it says at the point I put my trust in the Christ, God does a couple wonderful good things, which assures me of my salvation. The first one, okay, as we're going to see, is uh, what he says there is, God forgives me, okay, the first one, of my sins. That's your blank there. Forgives me of my sins, all right? Now, here's another thing. How many sins does Jesus Christ forgive? All. That's clear in the scripture. We're going to read some text according to that. Now, here's the logical question. Again, this is a verbiage that God uses so we can be assured. When Jesus forgives us, it's not just some, it's not just most, it's not all those up until the moment you got saved and the rest is up to you. The Bible uses verbiage, once again, called all. They're all forgiven. So logically, if all your sins have been forgiven, Christian, past, present, and future, nobody's condoning it, but if they've all been forgiven, then what sin could there be left uh, in your account to disqualify you. It's illogical. We have all of our sins forgiven is what the Bible has to say, okay? Um, And he credits, that's your next blank there, he credits to me the righteousness, okay, is what we're gonna see there, the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That is just absolutely phenomenal. Okay, he forgives me my sins, number one. Number two, he credits me the righteousness of Jesus Christ, okay? And again, just let me give you a little teaser on that. The righteousness of Jesus Christ. Okay, if Jesus was perfectly righteous, and he was, right? Otherwise he wouldn't have rose from the grave. That was a great question from Bonnie the other week. That's the importance of the resurrection, otherwise he'd still be there. Okay, death would have had a hold on him, but it didn't. Okay, so if Jesus is perfectly righteous, and I have been given, the Bible says, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, then how could I ever become unrighteous again in God's sight? You see what I'm saying? Over and over again, we haven't even gotten into the, the, the litmus of verses. The Bible gives us so much language to assure us, praise God, that we are saved forevermore. Let's take a look at that first point that assures us of our salvation from the Bible. Is still the first witness we're looking at there. Uh, God has forgiven my sins. The Bible states that when I put my faith in Jesus Christ, my sins are forgiven. Okay, Of Him, Jesus all the prophets bear witness that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Okay, everyone who believes in him. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and trans- uh, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, underline this word, folks, all Having forgiven us of all our transgressions. Transgressions, by the way, is a nifty way of saying violation of the law. Okay, in him we have redemption through his blood, Ephesians 1, 7. The forgiveness of our trespasses, a little bit different, same penalty, it's sin. That's more of a failing to do what is right, okay? Okay uh trust that according to the riches of his grace now here's the whole point according to god's word remember this is the first witness oh no how can i know that when i'm saved uh i can be assured of my salvation number one it's the bible and the bible says this according to god's word he has forgiven me all my sins all my transgressions past present and future through jesus christ and because of this i can be sure of god's acceptance of me and i can be assured of my salvation okay now what about those people though that would say oh yeah you're sitting here telling me pastor billy that the bible says that i can have assurance of salvation well i know some verses in the bible that tells us we can lose our salvation what about that yeah it gives you a headache just like that i'll tell you what exactly what's going on well i want to just give you a couple of the classic ones and once you're going to see folks if if you do the homework these people i'm going to bring up some of the big classic ones real quick Hopefully, famous last words, Tom. Uh, real quick of uh, of what they would quote and actually do the exact opposite of what we've been seeing. Try to get the Bible to say that we can't be assured of our salvation. In essence, dare I say, that's calling God a liar. I don't recommend it. That's a sin. Hello, okay, a big one. And uh, but they, let's take a look at some of those verses that they would say. Oh no, no, you can't be assured. You better just be sweating it out, brother. Okay, hey, and I'm all for obedience. Praise God. And I'm not sitting here saying let's be loose on sin and care. No, 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 nobody's saying that. But praise God, it's a complete salvation. You know, because again, if we're honest with our behavior, guys, even just today, how many of us would get there? Suck that hand down. None of us would, right? Right? If it was based on our behavior, okay, is, is the question there. Now, let's take a look. Revelation chapter three is one of the classic ones. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm just going to read the text there. You can turn if you want. Have fun. Uh, Revelation chapter three, verse 15 through 16 is one of the classic ones. And here's how it goes. I know your deeds. Jesus is speaking here, by the way, it's to, it's to the seven churches. This is one of them. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. And so because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth, literally vomit. Bleurgh. Well, there you have it, Gary. Christians can lose their salvation. They can be spit out of the mouth of God right there. How do you mean to tell me I can be assured of my salvation? Because it says right there he's going to spit you out of your mouth. You Really? What we're going to learn is the importance of Bible study, folks, is almost the same rule as it is in real estate. In real estate, there's three words you need to realize that's very important, and that's called location, 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 okay? When you study the Bible, it's another three nifty words, and they're the same word, by the way, uh, is context, context, context. And what you're going to see with every single one of these supposed verses that they would have the audacity to say, no, you can't trust God, he's lying, it's all up to you now, person, about your salvation, they take it out of context. And that, this is one of them, folks, okay? What you have here, if you look at the context, and you've got to back up the context, start with chapter 2, okay? Chapter 1 of Revelation, if you're familiar, deals with the, the risen Jesus the, Jesus, the real Jesus, the Jesus who's coming back, the Jesus who does not put up with sin, the Jesus who is going to squelch the Antichrist kingdom, set up his own kingdom for a thousand years, and, and, and man, you want to talk about an inc- incredible thing going on. Revelation 19, the second coming of Jesus Christ, when he comes back, there is no battle. cause the Battle of Armageddon. Are you kidding me? He comes back, you're done. <laughs> that ain't a battle. It's even worse at the end of the millennial kingdom with the final rebellion, with one word, you're done. Right? I don't know why we call it a battle, but anyway, whatever. And so, uh, but, uh, and, but, but that's what happens. The whole world comes against him and, and, and uh, is, is uh, trying to... Uh, can you imagine the audacity of mankind? We're going to take on God. Because that's really what's going on there. That's like a... Anyway, we'll continue on. Uh, but that's the context of what's going on. There. The first one is the, the vision of Jesus Christ, okay? Uh, the risen Jesus, the Jesus who's coming back, the one who has the title deed to the earth, the one who's going to, uh, the seals are going to be open, usher out God's wrath. It's God's wrath through and through, all through it, folks. Okay, and he's coming back to rule and reign. Okay? Then, but before he ever judges the world, he judges his church. Okay? Not his true church uh, in the sense of judging as in your salvation, because that's already done. As we saw before, it's judging our walk with him and judging you know is there any going to be anything left in these lives any rewards we'll get to that in a little bit do we have anything to show are we grateful How was the quality of our walk with him did we appreciate all that he's done for us has nothing to do with with earning we can't earn it it's just what did you do with your time before you got there okay that's what i'm talking about but as you see in the seven churches here's what i'm talking about in chapters two and three is the context before you even get to this verse Okay, you're gonna see in the context that John over and over again talks about two different groups of people in the church. And it's just like today. They're called Christians and non-Christians. Do non-Christians go to church services? Yeah. Yes, do non-Christians actually make it into positions of leadership in churches? Yeah. I got some horror stories about that. Yes, unfortunately, believe it or not, it happens. Okay, so here you can have actual churches that are filled with Christians and non-Christians, and that's exactly what he's talking about. He uses terms like you and they. Okay? in the in the churches, so that's two different groups of people here. And so you have to understand the context. And the reason why we know the context of what we're dealing here with is non-Christians, is because Jesus says you're gonna know a false teacher by their fruit. And how much fruit did these people have? Nothing. Zero. Nothing. They were near the hot, they were near the cold, they want to make God puke, okay, is what's going on there. And so you're dealing with the passage and not people who lose their salvation. Most likely they never had in the first place. This is that category that Jesus is talking about uh the you and the they okay now but then people say oh no no it's got to be it's got to be christians those are christians you can't say that even if you want to say that those are christians listen to the context he said i'm going to spit you out of my mouth now can i challenge you with the obvious interpretation of that text where's the word salvation there you're reading into there something that's not he simply said even if you want to say this is christian's and he's not really pleased that you're neither hot nor neither cold. cold. I don't have time to go in the culture context of what's going on with the hot and the cold. It's two different cities. One gave water that was cold. One get, was hot. And he says, man, you're, not, you're, not, you're good for nothing. Is really what he, can I translate it for you? And I wish you were one or the other, okay? And so, but here's my point. It doesn't say salvation, so you're reading something in there that's not there, okay? And but number two, you say, well, he says spit me out of my mouth, or, out of his mouth. That's gotta be salvation. No, it doesn't. Did you know that we could grieve God? Right? And that's what's going on here, even if you still want to say it was a Christian. Let me give you vernacular. Barf. God wants to barf. right? Because that's what he's saying. Make me want to puke. right? The Bible says that we can grieve the Holy Spirit. Who's that? Did you know that it's Christians? has nothing to do with our salvation. I'm not recommending it, by the way. But we can grieve God. And so even if you want to say this is still a Christian, it doesn't say the word salvation. It's not talking about salvation. And it's just basically saying, hey, could you please do something after all i've done for you i mean you're not doing nothing you're neither hot you're neither cold you're good for nothing man it makes me it makes me sick to my stomach what's that got to do with salvation i'm not recommending that but technically that's not what it says so christian non-christian doesn't matter if you read the context this passage cannot be used to say that you can lose your salvation another one of the big ones of course is the classic passages this these always seem to come up and that's uh, hebrews chapter six and hebrews chapter 10 Okay, let me read for you a couple passages. It is impossible, the writer of Hebrews says, for those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift, who've shared in the Holy Spirit, who've tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the coming of the age, if they fall away to come back to repentance. Oh, it gets even worse. Hebrews 10 26 through 27. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge, keyword there, just the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of the judgment and raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Oh, by the way, when you become a child of God, do you ever become an enemy of God? No, not in position. We can act like enemies. Okay. But uh, not in position, okay? But oh my goodness, I mean, how many guys have heard that one quote before? Hebrews 6 or 10. It says right there, uh, uh, a Christian can fall away, they can lose their salvation. Oh! No. Context, context, context. Your first clue that you're dealing with two groups of people, number one, is the name of the book. What's the name of the book called? Hebrews, okay? That man have to make coffee in the morning. That's not what it is. I know what you're thinking, Bill. But uh, that's not what it is. And uh, you got that, Ruth? Did you actually get that? I slipped that one in there. Okay, Jennifer, you got I Praise God. Okay, wrong got it, but I think, hopefully. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, no, it's Hebrews. So who, who's he writing to? Jewish people, okay? Now, uh, he's also writing to people according to the context. It says that they shared in, or literally in the Greek, partnered with the Holy Spirit, okay? And the Bible says that a true Christian is not an external partner. They're an internal possessor. Of The spirit is the big uh, uh, issue that's going on there. And then it says there, although these people have been enlightened with the gospel, knowledge, although they've tasted the goodness, it's like, man, this is good news. And you know, how many times have you shared the gospel with somebody and they respond, well, that's just almost too good to be true. They tasted it, but they reject it. And if you read the book of Hebrews, and that's your context before you get to chapter six and ten over and over again, the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell these people that, listen, it's not by means of the Levitical priesthood and the Jewish law by which you get to heaven. It's not self-justification before. And that's his whole treatise in uh, the majority of the book of Hebrews. That Jesus is a better way. Through Jesus is a better covenant. Through Jesus we have a better priesthood. He's a better high priest. And then when he goes in there, he doesn't have to keep doing it year after year. He did it once for all. And so he's dealing in the context with people who though, even though the church was already out there, the church was sharing the gospel, it's through Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone, they've, they've, they've enlightened that truth, they've tasted the goodness of it, but they never receive it and said, no, I'm still going to go back and trust in a works-based salvation. Do people do that today? How many times do you explain it to them and they either just flat out uh, 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 reject it? Or they, they play with it for a little while, and they literally go back with, no, I'm not that bad of a person. And maybe they don't go back into the Jewish uh, Levitical priesthood and try to sacrifice animals and keep the Sabbath and all that fun stuff. Okay, if you want to call it that. Okay, but they'll go back and, and do a different work system. Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good American. You know, I don't kick my dog too much. You know, I only beat my wife on Thursdays, and I, I try not to cheat on my taxes. You know, <laughs> right? Or they might even step it up a little bit. Well, hey, I go to church services. I believe in the Ten Commandments. Hey, this I love this mic because it keeps people awake. Praise God. <laughs> I'm going to use this on Sundays. Woo! Yeah, we're all enlightened. That's awesome. <laughs> so, but, well, they do the same thing. Take a step further. Hey, I walked an aisle. I got dunked in water. Right? Got dunked, okay. All right. Hey, that stuff doesn't save you. Okay? And the same thing happens today. And that's the whole context of Hebrews. He's talking about people. It's not by means of self-righteousness anymore. And, and of course, they're not going to come back to repentance because you explained it to you, your blue in the face. You've told them everything about the gospel, the goodness of it. They've tasted of it. It's been enlightened. And they got the knowledge of it, but they still will never respond. Okay, Now, if you still don't get that, he, that he's talking about two different groups of people, not only with the context there, not only with the title of the book itself, hello, he clearly in both of those passages talks about two different groups of people okay that he's talking about he talks about over and over again he had, there's a phrase there if you grab the context those who those who those who okay and then later he clarifies the true christian who is not trusting the works by uh, verse 9 even though we speak like this dear friends listen we are confident of better things in your case Do you see the dichotomy those who trust in that those who think it's the levitical priesthood those who Think it's works. Those who have the knowledge of the gospel, but those who still think that they're going to earn it themselves. But we got better confidence in you. Listen, things that accompany salvation, i.e., a true born again Christian. So if you look at the context, believe it or not, those are the big ones that people always want to flip out there, aren't they? If you're familiar with this debate, okay? Read the context, it has nothing to do with that at all. Okay, let me give you just one more and we'll move on. The third passage is 1 Corinthians 9. 9. Uh, Verse 26 through 27 says this. Therefore, Paul speaking, he says, I do not run like a man running aimlessly. Okay, I do not fight like a man beat in the air. Okay? He says, no, I beat my body. Uh, literally in the Greek, they're black and blue. Okay, It's like a boxing term he uses. And I make it my slave. Okay, Now, the, some translations there, I think it's King James, says I buffet my body. And you know what? That, if there's ever a verse that's applicable to Las Vegas, I've been here for a few months now. This place got tons of buffets. You can buffet your body all over the place. You know what I'm saying? Great prices. If you get their little card, you get a great deal. This is awesome. This place was... No. Okay, now it's Buffet. Okay, for those of you hooked on correct pronunciation. It's buffet my body, the old uh, King James. But anyway, my, <laughs> I beat my body. That's what's going on there. Okay, make it my slave. So after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Oh, no, Orson. There it is. A Christian says right there can be disqualified for the salvation. (laughs) No, notice the key word there. First of all, again, just like with Revelation chapter 3, where's the word salvation? It's not. Once again, you're breaking a biblical rule. You're reading into it that which is not there. Okay? The first thing he says, though, that's a clue, is he says, prize. Prize is different from salvation, is what's going on there. Okay? And, And Paul is beating his body into submission, literally in the Greek there, black and blue. I mean, he, I mean, he's, can, can I give you a translation? Discipline. Paul is running a race. He wants to have something to show for his life for Jesus Christ. And he is running the race. Hey, you run a marathon. Uh, you enter into the Olympics long before the race ever gets there. Long before you even get to the race along the finish line. What do you do with your body? You get out of Las Vegas. You stay away from those buffets. Okay, you get in the gym. You know what I'm saying? Or whatever, right? And what do you do? You beat it black and blue. You discipline that thing because you've got to be in shape. You, when you get into that race, man, you've got to be ready to go. And that's what Paul is saying there. It has nothing to do with missing out on a uh, heaven. It has to do with missing out on a reward in heaven. Okay? Okay, hey, well, chicken, that'll mess you up. That's just a whole other issue. Let's just close in prayer. I like this mic. But anyway, so it says this. Paul, basically what he's saying is I'm beating my body black and blue. I'm being a very disciplined Christian. Is that something we should do? Okay. Very disciplined Christian. because He doesn't want to be disqualified uh, for his uh, reward in heaven. Okay. He wants his life to show for something when he gets there. Right has nothing to do with salvation. It's simply dealing with rewards, okay? So again, and, what you're, and we can go on and on, but I'm telling you just for the sake of time and for the sake of the point, those, even though this topic that we're dealing with, the first of the three, I'm afraid to move. The first of the three is <laughs> hard for me, man. The first of the three is the Bible is the witness, right? The Bible is the witness, but then they would have the audacity to say that no, no, the Bible is not a witness. It actually should freak you out. That you should lose it, etc. No, no, no. If you read the context, the Bible does not say that whatsoever. Now, that's just the classic passages they want to read. Unfortunately, out of context, let's deal with the obvious. Let's flip it around then, okay? Hey, the proof's in the pudding. The burden of of salvation and its security rests not on me, and those people who would say you can lose it, hey, the burden of the proof relies on you. Because the scripture is emphatic, you cannot lose it. Let me read for you just a few of those verses. John 5, 24, Jesus speaking. He said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and you will not be condemned. You crossed over from death to life. John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me. How much is all? All, is going to come and whoever comes to me, I will listen. Jesus speaking, I will never drive away. That's emphatic. John 10:8:28. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one can snatch them out of my hand. Does that include yourself? Yeah, no one means no one. Romans 8:35, 38 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, for I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, neither people, dare I insert this, people would say you can lose your salvation. None of that stuff, nothing, nothing else in all the creation will be able to separate from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'd say that covers all bases. We're still not done. First Corinthians 1:8. He God will keep you strong to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 21, 22 Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us with his seal of ownership. He owns us, not the devil. He owns us. He ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit, listen, guaranteeing what is to come. So if you say it's not going to come or it might not come, that's not a guarantee. And yet God said it's a guarantee. So once again, you're calling a liar. And I seriously don't recommend that. Here's what he says, Ephesians 1.14. Paul says, the spirit of God, the spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us everything he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. This is just one more reason for us to praise our glorious Lord. Can anybody say amen? amen. Philippians 1, six. being confident of this. Notice, not doubting, not freaking out, not questioning, but being confident of this. That he, God, who began a good work in you, will carry it on to the completion until the day of Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil attack. And he, the Lord, will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. Okay, Who's going to beat Jesus up and, and, and so that, uh, unfortunately, I get slipped through? Nobody. He's going to do it. Hebrews 7.25, you want to say that Hebrews says that you can lose your salvation? Pfft, read the book of Hebrews. <laughs> There's a ton- Woo, praise God, this is exciting. Thank you, Byron. Anyway, Hebrews 7, 25, it says this. uh, Therefore, he is able to save, listen, completely. How much is complete? All, completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for him. If Jesus intercedes for our sins and he's always doing it, how does one ever get through? Think about it. Besides, it's already done anyway. Hebrews 9, 12. He did not enter Jesus by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained, listen, not just redemption, but eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, 15. For this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise eternal Inheritance. First Peter 1, 3-4. He has given us new birth into a living hope and into an inheritance that can never perish, never spoil, never fade. It's kept in heaven for you. If it's kept in heaven, who's going to sneak up there and rip it off? It's totally secure. And that's why John says, 1 John five thirteen. I write these things to you. He's writing to the church. To you who believe in the name of the Son of God. Why? So that you may know that you have eternal life okay, that's just the forgiveness aspect, let's take a look at number two, and that's the righteousness aspect, okay, at the top of page 27, okay, says this, God gives me Christ's righteousness, okay, it's cool enough uh, that all of our sins are forgiven, but to know that I now have the righteousness of Jesus Christ on my account, I mean, that's just like, this just gets better and better, right, Again, look at the context. We're talking, I'm going very slow. Uh, The eternal, the born again issue, the gift issue, you can't earn it. All the scriptures we've been reading, the irreversible usage of the things that are being mentioned in the Bible, and, and then all of our sins are forgiven. I just quoted all those texts. We looked at the supposed ones, you could lose it, and you can't, and now he says, oh, I really want you to know this because, by the way, I've given you the righteousness of my son. Let's take a look at it. The Bible says that God gives, reckons, or credits, To me, the righteousness of Christ, through my simple faith uh, in his son. Let's take a look at Genesis 15, 6. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Okay? Uh, For what does the Spirit say, Paul says in Romans 4? And Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, i got to stop right there. That proves that the Apostle Paul was a southerner. He reckoned. Okay? What do you think? Yeah, whatever. I digress. We don't have much time left. Uh, That he, speaking to Abraham, might be the father of all who believe uh, without being circumcised that righteousness might be reckoned to them. He, God the Father, made him Christ who knew no sin to be sin, i.e. a sin offering, on our behalf that we, is your next blank there, don't forget reckoned up there, uh, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. What's that, Tom? That's right. The righteousness of God in him. What's that? That's right. The righteousness of God in him. Okay, you guys got your blank there. As a result of my faith, God reckons or imputes righteousness to me. The righteousness of who? Christ. Now listen, this is, what, this is one of those Christianese phrases. You know, uh, reckoned or, or uh, the doctrine of imputation. Right? Okay, uh, he, let's explain what's going on here. It's a, it's a fabulous Greek word that's going on here. The Greek word translates Reckon. Okay, in our English Bibles, was an accounting term. How many guys hooked on accounting? One. That's usually about what we got. Are you serious? Praise God. Okay, but you know what? If you're ever into accounting, get into God's accounting. This will make your day. Okay, listen to this. God loves accounting. Okay, it's an accounting term, believe it or not, used in the first century when the New Testament was written. And it means to enter into the accounting book, your next two blanks there, the accounting book or to place on one's account. Now, remember last week, if you we were here, we saw, we fast forward to Revelation chapter 20 and the great white throne judgment, and you saw there's going to be a book, the book of life, whose names are found therein, okay, and then the books of the works, okay, of all the people who didn't want to trust in Jesus Christ and his work, okay, they're raised up from hell, they're, they're uh, going through the great white throne judgment, and then they're cast into the lake of fire, you go from the frying pan into the fire, it's not a good scene, you don't want to be there, okay, but notice, and this is what we're talking about, an accounting book, our names right now, Christian, are in the book of life. Okay, God's done his accounting on behalf of Jesus Christ and our names in that book that's going to happen and, 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 and to see that book, our name is there. It's already there. The accounting's done. Okay, it cannot be reversed. And he says this, now when I put my trust in Christ, God the Father places on my account the righteousness of Christ. This is what gives me my righteous standing before a holy God. Now, I don't, if you remember here a few weeks back when we were talking about salvation, we talked about the holiness of God. And that he does not tolerate sin. He cannot tolerate sin. And that's the whole premise of salvation. This is the quandary. How is that which is sinful going to have a relationship with he who is not sinful? I.e. God who is holy, who is holy, who is holy. And what we saw there was the wonder of wonders. God did what only God could do. He didn't just uh, forgive us of all of our sins. But it's kind of falling along the lines with this. Positionally, he's given us the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, to the point where he can... I almost don't want to move. almost where he calls us and he does calls us saints ruth i'm sorry to uh break this to you but did you know that john is a saint now if you want to for the rest of this week just refer to him as saint john (laughs) you can just want to give you that permission but you know what every single one of us the bible says is born again christian is a saint all right now remember what the term meant it was hagios in the greek and it means holy one now, here's the big quandary. We say, well, how can how could God consider me a saint? I don't act like it half the time. How, how can God call me a holy one? I mean, hey, if I'm honest with my behavior, he sees it all anyway. Hey, man, I do some unholy things. This is it. It's positionally. Positionally, the accounting has been done. And positionally, in God's eyes, the way that he sees us now, Christian, not just when we get into heaven, is with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so that means that he loves us just like he loves his son, Jesus. That means he accepts us just like he accepts his son, Jesus. Do you get it? We've got the intimacy with God because of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And God's, hey, you don't, may not understand it. You may not see that actual book. But folks, the Bible says that God in his incredible divine accounting has now placed in my aside my ledger, says righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now here's the great exchange. That's what God was doing on the cross. As it says there, Jesus who knew no sin became sin or a sin offering for us. Okay, we, I've said this before. God, in his divine accounting measure, praise God he's into accounting, okay, that is the divine accounting measure is that he took all of my rottenness, placed it in the ledger of Jesus Christ, i.e. the cross, and then he took of all Jesus' righteousness and put it on my ledger. Isn't that awesome? And that's why I started off back here. I says, hey, listen, if, if I've been given the righteousness of Jesus Christ and he's perfectly righteous, how could I ever become unrighteous again? then I would be a saint, I'm not a saint. I'd be a saint, I'm not a saint. And positionally, uh, in our walks, yeah, we can attest to that, but positionally, in God's eyes, it never changes. The moment you get saved, he loves you, Christian, and forevermore. And get this, did you know this? Even after all these years and all the things we've done as a Christian since we've been saved, good, bad, and ugly, he loves you just as much the first day you got saved because of this accounting term. Very quickly, I want to deal with the atonement of Jesus Christ, and we will close because this is what's going on here uh, in this accounting. This is on the cross, is what's taking place. It leads to the power and the importance of the atoning work of Jesus Christ on the cross. This is where God is making this accounting thing happen. And when Jesus did the accounting for us, praise God, it's done. Okay, and once again, what's the verbiage we're seeing all night tonight? Born again, eternal, you can't work for it, it's a gift, and Jesus said, my work is done. So if it's and anyway, we'll get to that in a second. John 19, verse 20 and 30. Jesus knew that everything was now finished. And to fulfill the scriptures, he said, I am thirsty. And when Jesus had tasted it, he said, it is Finished. And then he bowed up his head and he gave up his spirit. Now here, hopefully, it's not a difficult question. When Jesus said his atoning work on the cross for our sins was finished, that all of our righteousness went with him on the cross into the grave, and then what was transferred to our account uh, was his righteousness, and that work is done. How many guys would say it's done? Okay, and so if it's done, then how in the world can I undo it? You can't, again, it's an irreversible uh, uh, issue that's going on in the text. But yet when a person says, listen, this is what, you're not only calling God a liar, but you're calling Jesus a failure. When you say you can lose your salvation, right? Because think about it. When you say you can lose your salvation, in essence, you're saying that Jesus Christ was not finished or that his work on the cross was not complete. And that there's certain things you could do to reverse his work. Yet he said it was done. That's pure, common sense logic. Okay? Now, I just only have one time, uh, for one, one account of this, and people say, oh yeah, well I know a sin in the scripture. I know a sin in the scripture that cannot be forgiven, and that's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Have you guys heard that one? Alright, now, Matthew 12, I was going to read the whole context but uh, don't have time for that, uh, so if you want to later, that's great. Matthew 12, verse 30-31, Jesus speaking, He who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. So I tell you, Jesus speaking here, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven, men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. <gasps> oh my goodness, there it is, Mary. Uh, there's a sin that you and I as Christians can commit, and if we commit the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, Jesus is not going to forgive us. We're, we're, we're going to lose our salvation. And No. Once again, grab the context. I wish we had time to read that. Uh, first of all, it's a straw man argument. The context of what's going on there, okay, to read the passage, Jesus got, just got done, okay, performing a miracle. He healed a deaf and mute man. Pharisees came up and started uh, 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 ripping on him again, believe it or not. And, and then they had the audacity to say that Jesus did that by the power of Beelzebub or Satan. okay. The context is that Jesus is healing somebody, he's performing a miracle, and the people around him says, oh yeah, that's okay, great, we can't deny it because the guy is now speaking and, and he's, uh, he can hear now, okay, but you did that by the power of Satan. Now first of all, if God chose to do a miracle right now in front of us, this is what I say is a straw man argument, who Christian, what Christian in here is going to say, hey, praise God, that was done by the power of Satan. No Christian's going to do that. But second of all, a Christian, listen very carefully, cannot commit this sin at this time. Because this sin was when Jesus was here in his earthly ministry. Remember what the sin of the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is. It's accusing Jesus of healing, i.e. performing a miracle by the power of Satan. Okay, here's the problem, Christian. Consider the time frame we're in. Where's Jesus right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. He's at heaven. He's not walking the earth. He's not having to prove again via the miracles that he was, in fact, the Son of God, the Messiah. So here's the obvious conclusion. How then, therefore, could we commit the sin if he's not here doing that? Do you get it? The Bible is emphatic. It cannot happen. It cannot take place. You cannot commit that sin. Now, granted, I'll say this. Maybe when he comes back at his second coming and he sets up his millennial kingdom, Okay, and, and he's here for a thousand years, and we're with him too. Praise God, without a sin nature. Okay, but there's going to be people who still have a sin nature who usher in, who survived the seven-year tribulation that got saved. Okay, who enter into that, they're still going to have a sin nature. That explains why there's a rebellion at the end in the first place. Okay, because there's people who enter in and still, unfortunately, have a sin uh, 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 a sin nature. You and I, that's already gone. Praise God. Okay, but yet I could say that those people, when he's back on earth, maybe. Commit that sin. Okay. <laughs> I better wrap this up. Oh, I'm falling apart. Uh, that maybe they could commit that sin. Okay. But not now. Do you get it? So there is no sin. When Jesus said his work on the cross is finished, it is finished. There is no sin on the planet left, Christian, that you and I could commit that would unfinish the finished work of Jesus. Anything short of that is calling God a liar and you're calling Jesus a failure and I wouldn't recommend it. But again, why? Why when you've got, and that's just a couple passages they want to keep flinging out at you. And if you read the context, it's not even saying that. But why? Why would you buck at the good news? When God wants us to know that we can have it. And that's what he says here. We'll close. Conclusion. The Bible clearly states that when I believe in Jesus Christ and put my faith in his finished work on the cross as payment for my sins, I am given. It's a gift. Eternal. It's eternal life. And I have all my sins forgiven. Woo! In addition, God the Father places on me the righteousness of Christ, which gives me a righteous standing before him. For these reasons, underline this, Christian, I can, yes you can, Be assured of my salvation. Amen? Amen. Lord willing, next week, see when we can get some batteries. Uh, uh, Although this was very motivating, I must tell you. Uh, We're going to take a look at the final two witnesses. If that wasn't cool enough, we also have not just the witness of the Bible, the witness of the Holy Spirit and the witness of a transformed life. can let us know, not one, two, three different (laughs) times. (laughs) Let's just close in prayer. Well, that makes us a liar. The, another Ten Commandments says that you shall not steal. Don't ever take anything without permission. How many of you guys uh, have ever done that? Well, you guys already said you're a bunch of liars. All of our hands should have went up on that one. And for being honest, God already knows. Folks, we've all taken something. We've stolen something, right? That makes us a thief. Another Ten Commandments says that you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. He's not just holy. Even His name is holy. Hey, folks...